Well, truth. Truth is what we are talking about, and the truth is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those that like to live life on the edge, and then there's those that read the warning labels. So let me just see where you're at. Who likes to read the warning labels? Where am I warning? Okay, all right, good, good. The rest of you are just rebels, you know, that you just uh, you live life on the edge, and I'm definitely in that category. Uh, but just, just so you know, those of us that don't like to read the warning labels, we're missing out on some really good information. And I thought I would share just a few warning labels with you today. Uh, really, really good stuff that you're going to want to pay attention to. First of all, if you are uh, a peanut, if you have a peanut allergy, uh, I love this one. This is on a bag of peanuts, by the way. 100% peanuts. And I love it because it's kind of a soft approach. Allergy advice. Hey, we just, some advice for those of you that have peanut allergies. It does contain peanuts, and it's not really suitable for nut and sesame allergy sufferers due to the methods used in the manufacture of this product. Just in case you're wondering, sorry, you cannot eat a bag of peanuts. What about this one? This one seems pretty straightforward. At a local pool, don't, just rule number one to swimming, do not breathe underwater. You can, you, can, you know, I feel like that's what I teach, like blow the bubbles out, you know, to my kids. I teach them that, but I, I don't know why they had to put that sign up, but there, we covered our bases. We told them, don't breathe underwater. There you go. Uh, what about this one? I don't, I, don't, I don't even know what to do with this, you know. If, honestly, if, if you need that warning label, we should not put a chainsaw in your hand. Like this, you don't get a chainsaw. If you don't know which end is the end to hold and which end is not the end to hold, you don't get a chainsaw. We're, we'll, we'll do the cutting for you. It's fine. Uh, what about this one? For those of you that sometimes are in a hurry, you cannot iron, use the iron while wearing the shirt. It's just not advisable, and it hurts really, really bad, I'm sure. And somebody did it because there's a warning label to go with it, and, uh, and there you go. So, uh, and here, how about this one? And some of you can check probably on your own washing machine, and it has a little, it, it's for clothes. It's not for people. So you can't just jump in there and, and you know, get, get a quick clean cycle going. It, do not get in the washing machine. And this one was probably my favorite because it seems pretty straightforward. This is on a Razor scooter. This product moves when used. It's that's what it, it's a scooter. That's what it does. And then I love the bottom part just as a pre exercise caution and common sense when riding it. Because let's be honest, if you don't know that this moves while in use, then common sense, that ship has already sailed. So good luck to you. Uh, common sense is out the window. But those are fun, and those are some very real-life warning labels. Hopefully you don't need any of those warning labels. Uh, but when we're talking about this topic today of truth, there are some warnings uh, that the Scripture offers us that we should pay attention to. And one of those warnings comes from Paul, and he's writing a, a warning, a, a piece of advice to the church uh, of Colossae. And here's what he says on the topic of truth. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And then here's the warning, see to it. That no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. So interesting 
warning here, important warning here. And what he's saying is, listen, there might be some empty philosophy out there. It might look good on the outside, but it is empty on the inside. And we have to make sure that we are rooted in Christ in such a way that we're not falling into the trap of empty philosophy. And really, and he, he likens it to this spiritual battle that's taking place, the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so we hear this word spiritual warfare sometimes when we think like science fiction, like crazy stuff. But really, right here in the text, what he's saying is the spiritual forces of this world, the, method, the methodology that they're using is deception, the, the hollow teachings of the day. Elsewhere, Paul offers a specific warning to his young protege, Timothy, when he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your doctrine closely. And it seems like something, maybe we don't typically heed that warning. Maybe we don't think it, we, we need to read that warning label. But how, how long has it been since you've checked your doctrine? The things that the teaching that you're living by, the things that you're living by. You know, Jesus, he was concerned with truth as well, and it was really a primary topic all throughout the book of John, and he had warnings of his own, understanding better than anyone the powerful struggle between, between truth and deception. Most of the book of John is around this topic, and in John 8, 43 through 45, in an exchange that he has with the religious leaders, he says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. And so what Jesus is elevating for us and drawing to our attention is the primary tactic that the enemy uses is deception. He's a liar and the father of lies. And so we might not think that that's as, as strong as something like, I don't know, it's like Halloween time. Maybe you're watching like the Exorcist movie and you think about like spiritual warfare as like something like that. It's like demon possession or something like that. But right here, Jesus is saying, listen, pay attention to the, the power that is at work when you're being lied to by the enemy, when the enemy controls the narrative that you believe. And we have a very real and present enemy of our souls that uses deception and distortion uh, of our desires as his primary means of influence over us. And I just I have to think, perhaps as we're fighting against one another on a societal level, there's something more critical happening on a spiritual level. And we're looking over here, and, and meanwhile, the enemy's fighting on a different front. We're fighting not against, while we might be fighting against flesh and blood, we're being warned by the Ephesians, to the letter of the Ephesians, that there's this war being waged between the spiritual forces of evil and the spiritual realm. The powers of darkness seem to use a much more subtle but devastating tactic. Deception. Ideas. False notions of reality. And that's compounded by the digital age where, where we live, where information, we're just so, we have information and influence all around us, right? And we feel like we can't escape from it. And we have to decide and discern what, what is true and what is not. I've mentioned this before, but I love what Dallas Willard says about what happened in the garden. He says, interestingly, when Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must buy on her own act to secure her own well-being. 
And so what does the enemy do? He just drops the doubt, allows that seed to grow, or drops a little bit of deception and allows that to, to, to go to work within us. Not a forceful stick, but an idea. And I think we have to pay attention in light of all of that to this path of truth, this, 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 uh, this way of truth. So in light of that, here's the question we're going to ask today is how do we combat the lies and walk in the way of truth? How do we make sure that we're not drawn away through deception or allow our desires to be distorted uh, for our own destruction? So the first thing is this we're going to talk about, and it's, it's revere the source of truth. We've got to get to the place where if we want to walk in the way of truth, we have to first revere the source of truth. We have to respect the authority of God and his truth in our life. And in the secular age, we're taught, follow your every desire. Like our desires are the things that primarily can be trusted, right? We're told, YOLO, like you only live once, just, just live it up, do whatever you want to do, do whatever works best for you. As the country artist Casey Musgroves sings, follow your arrow wherever it points. I mean, talk about just great advice, right? And if you've ever done that, you know that we're, sometimes your arrow's not pointing in the direction of truth. Sometimes your arrow's not pointing in the, in the direction of, of health and, and, and what is truly life. So the secular age tells us there's no true north, just follow your every desire. Meanwhile, the Bible warns of something different. It tells us that if we don't control our desires, our desires will ultimately control and overtake us. And James tells us this in James 1, 14 through 16. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When it is full grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Paul tells the Romans this in Romans 6, 20 through 25. He speaks to what happens to the individual in the society that no longer submits to God's authority. It says, for the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so what Paul is saying here is there's this shift that happens where we start to worship the created things. We become futile in our thinking, thinking ourselves to be wise, but really we're growing in foolishness as we erect for ourselves uh, these idols in our life. Whatever it might be, whatever created thing might become an idol in our life, that's why the, if we really want to walk in the way of wisdom, we have to understand that we have to do the opposite of that shift. While instead of worshiping the created things, we have to worship with greater magnitude the creator which leads us not into deeper foolishness, but it leads us into greater wisdom. Worship is what primes us for wisdom. It, in Proverbs 1.7, it says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
It's been said before that worship is our weapon. The reason being is because it reorders our disordered desires. That's why a regular rhythm of worship in your life, not just here on Sunday morning, but beyond that, this practice, practice of worship, this practice of encountering God, glorifying God, raising up the name of Jesus' authority in your life, is something we all must do on a regular basis so that we're primed to receive his wisdom. And worship isn't just a singular thing. It's not just, a, it's not just singing. It's not just coming in here on a Sunday morning. Worship is holistic in the sense that it encompasses every aspect of our life. Archbishop William Temple writes this about worship. He says, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All this is then gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. And it's when we walk in the way of worship that we are walking into the way of wisdom. As Philippians 3, 18 through 21 challenges us, For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but friends, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So first and foremost, we have to get back to this place where worship leads us in the way of wisdom, where we are revering the source of truth. Also, we need to be one with the person of truth. Josh McDowell said that truth is not merely an abstract idea. It is a person, and that person has a name. And we cannot separate the principle of truth from the person who embodies it, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just say, um, I, I'll show you the way to the truth. He says, I am the truth. He doesn't just say that here's the path. He says, I am the path. Jesus didn't just point to the standard. He became the standard. And in John 18, 36 through 38, Stephen shared this last week, there's this encounter that uh, Jesus has with Pilate. Uh, as is leading to his crucifixion, and there's this exchange that they have. And Jesus says to, to Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate asks this famous question, what is truth? But he doesn't wait for the answer, and he hands Jesus over, and in this famous line that has been said in, in the text, echo homo, he says, behold the man. So he presents Jesus before the people, and he says, behold the man. And interestingly and ironically, Pilate was answering his own question, what is truth, in that statement, ecce homo, behold the man, see the man. Here's the truth, he's standing before you. 
And if he had seen the man, he would have seen the truth. But he missed the truth when it was standing right in front of him. And I think we have to get to the place, too, where we see the man. We don't miss the man that is Jesus. We don't miss the truth that is found in Jesus, the very personhood of truth. When we behold the man, we discover what it means to be human in the truest sense. We see what it really looks like to live with this compassion that the Bible speaks of. We see what it really looks like to love our neighbors. We see what it really looks like to go beyond that and actually love our enemies, as the Bible tells us to. We see this countercultural way of life that is found in the Scripture lived out in the person of Jesus. We see truth lived out. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, listen, Moses gave a law for us to follow, but Jesus modeled the law and showed us what it looked like when the truth was lived out. Behold the man. But we don't settle at beholding the man. The Bible says that even the demons believe and shudder. Our aim is not just to behold the man, it is to become the man. By his power at work in us to grow in his likeness, to grow in his truth, so that we could be human in the the truest sense of the word. So we are to continue to be one with the person of truth. We're to be guided by the spirit of truth. John 16, 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you all that belongs to the father is mine that is why i said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you and so he speaks of the spirit of truth this guide for our path the one that's once jesus goes to heaven going to lead us in the way of truth and the way of life i don't know how many of you use this app but i use this app that's the ways app when i'm going around town trying to figure out where i'm going does anybody else use ways um, so it's cool because it like updates things in real time and I guess people are like updating things while they're driving and like letting me know when there's an accident, you know, and probably causing additional accidents. I don't know. But it is pretty cool because it like it, it reroutes you and it's all, you know, kind of up to date with what's actually happening. But one of the things that's interesting is you can set your own voice in there. Like you can have like Batman like directing you like where to go. And it's like, okay, talk about a lot. If Batman tells me to go there, like I'm, I'm going. If he says go around, you know, there's an like whatever Batman says, like he, Batman would not lie to me, right? And so I, you can pick whatever voice you want. I, I've always said they should invent like a sarcastic voice. Like I would respond to that, you know, like that, that would be like my love language in the form of like a Waze app is like, yeah, way to go, you know, now I got to recalculate again, you know, stuff like that. It's like, that would be like my, my, if I could pick, you know, a voice to kind of steer me around. I was like, okay, I get it. You know, you're irritated because I don't listen to anything you say. And I go, okay, recalculating again. Here we go. Um, but we, we have this like whole list of like, you know, voices that you can pick from. And I think the same is really true in modern days. Like we have an abundance of voices, right, that we can choose to listen to. And without even knowing it, often we elevate uh, a voice in our life to have influence over us. So the question that I have is because when navigating our modern world, we have lots of voices that are eager to guide us. Which voice are you allowing to guide you? I mean, which voice uh, has authority in your life? If you, if you, was, is it just your voice, your internal voice, and, and you like to say, well, hey, wherever I think I should go, or uh, maybe it's 
you know, the voice of some outside force, whatever that might be. But God tells us that he has implanted this voice within us, this Holy Spirit, to guide us, to direct us. But we've got to be able to tune that voice in. We've got to get uh, better at listening as God and through discernment, right, and through the, our agency of our mind and, and of our heart and our conviction to be able to, to, to work alongside this voice and walking into the way of truth. His Holy Spirit guides us. It directs us. God's Spirit speaks to us about all the things that the world is eager to speak to us about. Uh, our, our, our identity, who are we? Our creator, who is God? Our meaning, what we were made for. And it, it helps us by pointing out roadblocks in our past, steering us out and around the devastation of sin. And it's critical that we learn this tool of discernment and use of the Spirit. That's why Paul tells the Thessalonians to, to practice discernment when he says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. We must be guided by the truth. We also must be transformed by the word of truth. Be transformed by the word of truth. And I, I don't think that I always appreciate and value the power of God's word. I mean, if I really believed what Hebrews 4.12 says, when it says, for the word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I mean, that's, that's a powerful scripture if you believe that to be true, that, that the word of God actually holds the power to change us from the inside out. And Jesus obviously elevated the word of God in the scriptures as important to him. He, he, he knew the scriptures well. They were embedded in his life, and, and, they were, and he continued to, to elevate those things in his teaching. And one of the things that he does just prior to uh, going to the cross is he prays this prayer for his disciples, for the ones that he loves. And in that prayer, he says something really, really important. In John 17, 16 through 18, he, he prays this. He says, listen, they are not of this world just as I'm not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself and that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Listen, he's like, the power is in the truth. We need to be saturated in the truth so that we can be sanctified by the truth, so that we can allow the truth to really change us, to penetrate our heart, and to lead us into the way of life. It's by the power of the infallible word of God that we walk in the way of truth. And when we walk in the way of truth, it cleanses us. It completes us. It changes us from the inside out. And it was the truth of God's word that, that changed Chuck Colson's life and countless others were changed by his influence and impact. If you don't know Chuck Colson's story, Chuck Colson was the, the former aide to President Nixon. He was sent to prison uh, for his involvement in the Watergate scandal. And he talks about how he lost his grip on what was true and what was right and how his self-righteousness really blinded him from his ability to, to grasp what was true and what was right and continued to dig deeper and deep, deeper in and entrenched himself in, uh, in something he never expected that he would. And uh, so he, he served time in prison for that. And in 1973, his friend Tom Phillips shared the life-changing message of the gospel with Chuck, which turned his life just absolutely upside down. And then Chuck's life 
started to turn so many other lives upside down. And while he was in prison, he started this prison ministry. He's like, listen, I'm either going to serve God outside of these bars or I'm going to serve God inside of these bars. It's up to him which it's going to be. And so in his time, he just, he he shared the gospel with so many people and then continued on this legacy of this prison ministry, leading people into the way of truth so that the truth could set them free. He was later asked to appear on Nightline with Ted Koppel, and Koppel, uh, after the show, wanted to have a conversation with him. He said, listen, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes if I can. He was aware of Colson's faith and commitment to Jesus Christ, so he engaged in a conversation with him. Colson said that they talked for about 45 minutes about God and Jesus and about his faith. And things finally came around to the ex- existence of absolute truth, and the conversation shifted to, to Koppel's skepticism of truth. And Colston realized that he didn't seem to be getting anywhere uh, with him when suddenly he remembered Ted enjoyed sailing. And so he said, Ted, do you ever go sailing at night? And he said, sure. He said, when you sail at night, how do you navigate? And Koppel said, I use the stars to find my direction. And Colston said, could you navigate by the stars if they were in a different place in the sky every night? Ted Koppel said, you couldn't navigate at all if the stars changed places. It is only because they maintain a fixed position that they can be used for direction. And then Colson said, likewise, we live by a fixed moral order and without the standard of absolute truth, we cannot live. We need the standard of absolute truth. We need this fixed point of reference, right? When so much is shifting and changing around us, we need to continue to point our lives and fix our eyes on true north, on Jesus on the word of God, to be guided by the spirit of God, and to really fall in love with and worship the source of all truth in in God himself. There's no replacement for the truth. It is essential. It is powerful. The only question is, will we let it change us? Will we let it guide us? Will we live by it, or will we reject it? You know, it may continue to be hard uh, in in the days ahead to to find truth and to really pursue truth, but there's nothing more worth our pursuit and our time and our energy. The world can attempt to suppress the truth, to undermine it, to redefine it, but the word of God will always endure. I leave you with Mark 13, 31. It says, heaven and earth may pass away. My word will never pass away. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your goodness that we had the opportunity to sing about just a little bit ago. We thank you that we can come into this place and and meet with you, encounter you. We thank you, God, that you tell us that your truth is accessible, that you reveal yourself to us, that you have revealed yourself to us through the person of Jesus. We thank you that you've given us a guide in the Holy Spirit to guide us, even when things seem chaotic, even when things seem confusing, even when things seem unclear, God, that you are there, that you are near to us, that you are guiding us into truth. And God, we just know that and we desire to be changed by the truth, that you would continue to transform our lives, that we would honor the word of God in a way that we really believe that it can change us. It's not just words that were written for an ancient people, but they're words that 
speak truth into us here and now, God. And we want to invite you to continue to, through that double-edged sword, to, to penetrate our hearts, to, to reshape our lives, and guide us nearer to you. We praise you. We lift up your name. We seek you with all of our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.